Please turn with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Continuing to look at this story that we started last week and we'll be continuing to look at throughout the summer. And this morning we're looking at Ruth, chapter 1, verses 8 to 18. Ruth 1, 8 to 18. And this is God's word. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have a hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you, to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Lord, we pray that you would be with us the preaching of your word this morning. Father, apart from you, this is just a human story of loyalty and faithfulness, but Lord, with you, this can mean so much more. And so we pray that that would be true this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are picking up the narrative in this short story from last week, as I mentioned. And you'll remember, if you were here last week, or you could just look in your scriptures, the first seven verses of this book, that we've been introduced to a character named Naomi. And Naomi has experienced insufferable loss through the deaths of her husband and her two sons. And having heard word that the Lord had visited his people and given them food in verses uh, 6 and 7, Naomi makes a directional decision to leave Moab and stake her chances of being provided for by returning to Bethlehem in Judah. But what we also saw last week is that Naomi is not alone. Before passing away, both of her sons had married foreign women, Moabites named Ruth and Orpah, and both of these young widows are now making the journey with Naomi as well. Now Naomi is convinced that heading back to Bethlehem is the right decision for her. As far as she could tell, um, her life in Moab 
had come to a tragic end and there was no reason for her to stay in Moab as a widowed foreigner. But Naomi had a different opinion concerning the final destination of her two daughters-in-law. And so what unfolds in the text this morning, as we just read out, is Naomi making several dramatic petitions, three actually, to Ruth and Orpah, appealing to them to go back to Moab instead of continuing on the journey with her to Bethlehem. And she wants to force these two two young women to also make a directional decision. Because we know God's word is living and active even to our own day, so to the word this morning is calling each of us and our church family to make a directional decision as well. Now the word says in verse 7 that Naomi has already set out. And I take this to mean um, that the journey for these three ladies has already begun. And with each passing step, the reality of Naomi having these two young widows with her is startling, starting to settle down on her. And uh, whereas in verses 6 and 7, Naomi is considering her own future and making her own plans. Uh, in our passage this morning, her focus seems to have shifted. And she now begins to wonder what in the world is going to happen to Ruth and Orpah once they get to Judah. And with each passing step, Naomi is putting the pieces together and she's playing the scenario out in her mind and the outcomes that she can conjure up are not looking very optimistic. Now the reason for that, there's a couple. The first reason is because Naomi knows that living in a patriarchal society, Ruth and Orpah, um, if they desire a future wherein they are going to be provided for, and find some sense of rest and security, and also have the opportunity to play a part in some kind of family legacy or lineage, then they're going to have to get remarried. And secondly, Naomi knows that if remarriage, with all of its cultural benefits at that time, is the best future possible for them, then Bethlehem is not the place to go. So our passage this morning uh, begins with Naomi making three petitions to her daughters-in-law to not go with her to Bethlehem and encouraging them instead to turn back and go home to Moab. And our passage ends with the now famous poetic pledge from Ruth. So three petitions and a pledge. Now the way the story reads from verse 7 to verse 8 gives the impression that Naomi didn't start petitioning Ruth and Orpah until the journey had already begun. And if you'll allow me this morning uh, to tease out uh, this a little bit in an illustration, this is a little conjecture, bear with me for just a moment, because the way I picture the scene is that these three women have jumped into the car, probably a Civic for good gas mileage, And they started the long road trip in a sort of solemn silence. These women have been through a lot. They start the journey by pulling out of their town, this place where they've lived for at least the last 10 years of their life together. They're watching the familiar places flash by, probably thinking about how they will never see them or the people again. I imagine that was a pretty emotional moment for Ruth and Orpah to be making the decision to uh, become widowed foreigners themselves in Bethlehem and probably trying to keep it together for Naomi's sake as they're starting 
the journey. I picture Naomi in the driver's seat. She's got one hand on the wheel. She's probably got the window down. It's hot. She's got the window down. She has her other hand on her forehead. She's rubbing it, thinking and thinking and wondering what's going to happen. She's probably reflecting on how life turned out this way for her. She's on that same road, leaving Moab that she came all those years before with her husband and two sons. The last time she was probably on this road, she was a young wife, a younger woman with two sons, completely unaware of what the future was to hold for her. And then somewhere along the road, as they're going from Moab to Bethlehem, it hits Naomi. These girls can't go with me. What are we thinking? There's no hope for a good future if Ruth and Orpah go with me. Their best hopes for the future are if they remarry and there's no one in Bethlehem who can or would marry them. And so in dramatic fashion, Naomi pulls the car over in a cloud of dust. She throws it in park. She looks at her wide-eyed daughters-in-law and makes her first petition, saying with desperation, Girls, can't go with me. Got to go back home. To soften the blow, Naomi acknowledges that both of these girls have been a display of God's kindness to her and her family, and she wishes God's kindness back on them. And as she does so, she also reveals what's really in her mind and on her heart, namely that these two young widows, you see it in the text, may find rest or security in the house of a new husband. Undoubtedly, all three women knew that remarriage held the best future for the younger two, and there must have also been an understanding that remarriage in Moab had the better odds. So after all, the book of Deuteronomy, the Israeli law had instructed the people of God to not marry foreign women because of the concern that they would lead their husbands away from trusting in and following the God of Scripture. So if Ruth and Orpah show up in Bethlehem, who's going to marry them? If the choice were a gamble, it appeared that the odds heavily favored Moab as the better destination. Go. Return. Naomi petitions, you've done enough for me and for my family. You don't owe me anything else anymore. Just go. Go home and may God deal kindly with you there by providing for you rest and security through a new husband. Well, this first petition from Naomi elicits an emotional response of wailing and weeping, but not a new directional decision. The two girls stand firm. No, we will return with you to your people. And so, starting in verse 11, comes petition number two, more dramatic and poetic than the first. Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Don't you see? I can't give you what you really need. You're going to go with me to Bethlehem? What is waiting for you in Bethlehem? 
can't give you what, what you really need. I'm an Israelite, and I'm going home because there's food for me there. But you, you're a foreigner. You need a husband. And no one in Israel is going to marry you. Now, interestingly, interestingly enough, in the second petition, Naomi showcases an awareness of the law in Israel that said if a husband dies, then another male within the family shall take the widow as a wife. And it says in Deuteronomy 25, the reason for that is so that the family name may not be blotted out. But though Naomi is aware of the law, her narrow interpretation of it makes her think that the only way it can be fulfilled is if Naomi herself has another son And the impossibility of that happening is the basis for her second petition. And you can see that language all throughout verses 11 to 13. In Naomi's understanding, the only way the law would be fulfilled was if she were the one to provide for her daughters-in-law. It would have had to have been a work of Naomi. And yet, because of her age and situation, Naomi knows that it would be impossible for her to provide a husband that could bring rest and security for Ruth or Orpah. You can sense the inner tension that Naomi feels as she's making this petitions in verse 13. She loves her daughters-in-law and wants good things for them, but she's hurting. She's probably remembering, even as she's making this petition, that because she's unable to conceive and provide a fulfillment of the law, that not only are Ruth and Orpah without hope for husbands in Bethlehem, but Naomi too has lost hope to have a heritage and a legacy in Israel. You get a sense of her pain in verse 13. No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. I just got to be honest with you, this week in studying this passage, I have found Naomi to be a fascinating character, very difficult to understand. On the one hand, her life has been broken by tragedies, and feelings of hopelessness have washed over her, understandably so. She still believes that God is in control of all of her life's circumstances, the hand of the Lord. But because of the way things have turned out for her, she also believes that God is no longer for her, but against her. If that's not confusing enough, with all of this in mind, where is she going? She's going to Bethlehem. She's going towards the one whom she is saying, his hand has gone out against me, but I've heard that he visited and has provided for his people. I was thinking about Naomi this week, and I was thinking, my goodness, what an illustration for pain in the Christian life. Amidst all of her hopelessness, 
It must have been something that was saying to her, I know it hurts right now. I know it doesn't all make sense right now. I know you can't imagine how this is going to turn out well in the end. But just come to Bethlehem. Leave Moab behind and just come. Just keep walking. I'm not finished with you yet. At the end of this second petition of Naomi, a directional decision is made. The woman weep together again, and then Orpah, persuaded by her mother-in-law, kisses her goodbye and steps out of the story. But not Ruth. Sweet Ruth. I want to be like Ruth. Ruth is a great name to give a child. We have many wonderful ladies in our church who are named Ruth. No Orpas. I checked. <laughs> If you're here visiting today, (laughs) God loves you no matter what your name is. (laughs) The word says that Ruth clung to Naomi. She stuck to her. She cleaved to her. She held fast to her the way that skin and bone enjoined themselves together. At this point, you can imagine some kind of level of emotional exhaustion on Naomi's end because she's given Ruth her best material. She's laid out her case quite plainly. Listen, Ruth, if you want rest and security, you need to remarry. There is no hope of remarriage for you in Bethlehem. So if you want a husband, you need to turn back and go home to Moab. In spite of all this, Naomi gives it one more go. In her third and final petition, Naomi appeals to Ruth on the basis of Orpah's directional decision. You see that in verse 15. And she also notes how Orpah has returned not only to her people, but also to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. If Yahweh doesn't deal kindly with and provide for you in Moab, then maybe your gods will. Again, so much doubt and confusion in Naomi amidst just a mustard seed of faith and hope. In these three petitions, Naomi has laid out a perfectly clear case as to what the cost will be to Ruth if she continues to go with her to Bethlehem. 
If Ruth goes to Bethlehem, she is surrendering all other potential hopes, all opportunities of finding a husband who will provide for her and give her security and rest. That's the cost. To go to Bethlehem, to go to the place where they had heard that God had visited and provided for his people, she has to give up Moab and all that it could potentially hold for her and for her future. As I thought about that this week, I thought, doesn't that sound familiar, Christian? That decision. If anyone would come after me, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but know today what it means to be a Christian. It's true that a sinner receives forgiveness and new life through an act of grace, not of works, to be received as a gift by faith. Amen. The declaration and reality of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that God has done for sinners what sinners could not do for themselves. And this sinner says, hallelujah, But true faith, life-granting faith, transformative faith at its core. It says, I'm counting all other options of provision and rest and security, both now and forever, as loss. It's gone. Old hymn put it, O Christ our hope, our heart's desire, redemption's only spring, creator of the world art thou, its savior and its king. If you want to go to Bethlehem, if you want to go where God has visited and provided for his people, loved ones, then you have to burn every bridge that leads to Moab. Cross it and light it on fire. Can't go back. A decision made. No turning back. No turning back. I like Wheaton. It's a fine place. I like to take my kids across the street here and run around barefoot on Blanchard Lawn. I'm grateful for the great doctors that we have here. When myself or my wife or my children need to be healed. Grateful for good schools. So many good things here in Wheaton. Truly get Christ. There's got to be something in your heart that says, if I have to lose all of it to have him. To have Christ. I would do it. 
And I would cry and I would weep and I would wail, but I would do it. If you want a faith that changes you, you got to say all other hopes that I could have for a good future for myself, for my wife, for my children. The bridges are burned. I'm not going back. I'm not turning back. I've decided what would light this church on fire. Faith in Christ and Christ alone. Our only hope. Ruth, sweet Ruth, verse 16. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. The time of petitioning is over. And the time for the pledge has come. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me. You. A singular act of loving kindness. And though she didn't see it at the time, Ruth was to Naomi a reflection of the promise making and the promise keeping God of Scripture. What a testimony Christ like love is in a world that doubts the goodness of God, especially in pain and suffering. God had not given up on Naomi. She'd been dealt a heavy blow, but she wasn't without hope. Ironically, Naomi spends almost all of chapter 1 trying to dissuade from coming with her the very means by which God was providentially orchestrating to bless her through. You can't out-strategize the goodness of God towards his people. And we thank God for that. William Cooper once wrote, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea. And he rides upon the storm. It's amazing. Ruth goes to Bethlehem. So when the cost gets high, and when other alternatives seem more promising, or when the tragedies and pains of life obscure our judgment and make us bitter, I wonder if we will still choose to go to the place where God has visited and provided for his people. You know the name. Boaz. Obed. Jesse. following that Bethlehem heritage all the way down for a thousand years until one day a husband would come and provide rest 
and security for his bride, both now and forever. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can have true hope in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that everyone in here this morning would be saying that they are done with Moab. They are turning away from Moab and instead turning to your son. We pray that in his name. Amen.